0: A header on goal, and Jordan Morris has done it. Appealing in vain for offside, the Chicago Fire defenders. Jordan Morris from the doorstep saves the day for the Sounders.
1: Third, a foot race the other way. Look who's running hard after defensively, Wayne Rooney, that net is empty, big collision by the captain, that is unbelievable effort. Rooney, putting one
0: off, Costa. header, goal! Patrick Bacosta! Cole picks it up, Cole's crossing! Doesn't get much better than
2: this, folks. The Stateside Soccer Show with Logan and Jordan.
0: Hello and welcome back to the Stateside Soccer Show. My name is Jordan Wiegand, and with me today is Logan Stump. How's it going, everybody? Going good. You know, I really like the common theme of when we record big news breaking right before we jump on.
1: It's always the case, to be (laughs) honest. This, kids always drop the days that we're doing teams. Yes. Uh, Rumor signings like Aguidelo drops. Uh, when uh, we're doing Minnesota um, so if your team is coming up big news is coming uh, whether it's good <laughs> or bad just just watch out
0: yeah we did have the retirement of Ray Gaddis, uh, which took me by surprise with him only playing nine years for the union uh, and now you know we we let Keegan Rosenberry go to uh, to Colorado a few years ago who would have you know taking over that taking over that right back spot and now we'll see what the union do there we had orlando dropping their kit that you already ordered um so real quick first thoughts on that i like it
1: i think it's different
0: um it's not one of my favorite i liked the leak better the the one where it looked more like lights yeah me too Yeah,
1: yeah i did too um I think it like at first it kind of takes a little bit used to get getting used to like the darker going to the light. I like the theme behind it. They're they're saying that in 2021 it made sense to do from going from darker into light again because that's kind of what's going on in the community, especially with all the layoffs and different struggles that people are having in this community because it's that rough uh, with the hospitality industry here in Orlando. But yeah, I like it. And I I really like the white trim on the sleeves mm-hmm. so like the mm-hmm. cups are white i've always loved that when teams would do the white on the cups because like
0: man city does it. And
1: i'm a man city fan they do it sometimes with the white and i really like those
0: and then the biggest shocking news was uh this morning mls released a press uh a press release that was pretty much two sentences long <laughs> Yeah. that said they are investigating the signing of blaze matweedy to uh from inner uh, when he went to inner miami uh, over the summer so something was they were made aware of something and what it seems to be that they're alluding to because a lot of people are shocked matweedy was not a dp when he signed and that he was used with tam money it seems to be that they think that there was some sort of Additional dollars going to Matuidi, uh That was not, I guess, accounted for in the salary, right? So almost like he's a DP, but they're only using TAM money on him, and they're paying him almost like off the books. That's what that's what it seems like they're investigating here. Uh, Franco Pen uh, Panizo, right? I don't know if I said that right. Uh, on Twitter, he covers inner Miami. Uh, for SBI he says that sources tell him that within the organization they are feeling nervous about the mid situation so that makes me think that they're worried about some sort of repercussions that they're going to get and and the reason why this is big news is as I alluded to in our MLS beginners guide that you should listen to if you haven't if you if you just want to know background information on the, on how this stuff works is that sometimes they've just kind of created rules out of thin air in MLS to have these type of players make it over here. Like they created the whole DP rule to get David Beckham over here. Um, you know, skirting allocation rules to kind of bring Dempsey to Seattle. There's all these kind of things that you can look up that are where the transparency of the league is not really there. And in this instance, the reason why this is big news is because they announced they are looking into it, something they don't always do, which means that people are actually expecting something to come from this. And two, that they're not just going to probably create another rule to get into miami David Beckham's team. This is David Beckham's team that he got for a much lower expansion fee due to his contract with MLS when he came over. That means that they're, uh, you know, a little bit more transparency here. Not everything is going to go the way that maybe it did in the past, and that they're not going to get sc- uh, off scot free with this. So I am interested to see what happens with this. I don't know what, if this is the case, uh, you know, what's an appropriate punishment? Draft picks cannot be appropriate punishment because draft picks mean nothing in MLS mostly, right? Uh, it's not like an NFL team losing a draft pick. Finding, you know, they're Miami. They have a rich ownership. They got David Beckham. I don't know if that does enough. So I'm not really sure what else there is. I think forcing a sale of Matweedy, which some people will speculate it would be bad too. I, re- I really think that would. But here's the thing if they were going to do that again for this year where they're paying him extra side dollars, if that's what indeed was. Actually, happening, we don't really know yet. That means they would have had to have been planning to do that again this year. I don't think he's taking a pay cut, so maybe he would have to leave. I don't really know how that works. But, uh, Logan, as somebody that was not familiar with MLS structures, uh, of these payments and you know, we the the salary structures, what is your take on all this now that you've kind of been learning the league and uh. Do you have any ideas for appropriate punishment? Yeah, so I
1: think it's interesting looking at other sports and even in other leagues in Europe, um, how transparent teams are with salaries, how transparent teams are with how much money spent to bring somebody in, whether it's trade or free agency or if it's a player swap or it's a, you know, whatever it might be. I think that the transparency with those leagues would benefit MLS because when I read MLS stuff it's more of like okay so I don't know if they used and then sometimes a lot of times the coaches or the managers will come out and say well we're indicating that we've we're going to spend you know Tam or Gam or we're going to use a DP spot to sign this player but it's not until then really that that the typical fan or typical person that would cover it would know there's like this weird range I know reading the article in which he was signed it says that it kind of gives this range of like he wasn't paid really what a DP player would be paid, but he is paid a lot kind of thing. So it's still that kind of clarity with just how much people are paying players because it's just not out there as public knowledge as it is in a lot of these other leagues. And, you know, I think if anything is kind of, if there's something skeptical, you know, if somebody's skeptical of like what they're doing then they're just going to keep doing this. I mean, we see this all the time in Europe when teams will go and they'll do things illegally out of a transfer window, or they'll be offering money under the table or anything like that. And then they go up against UEFA. UEFA can throw them out of the champions league. It's that kind of stuff. inter is not really on the map for those kind of you know, tournaments or anything like that. So putting restrictions on that would just not make any sense. I think, Maybe some draft picks and then some, alt, maybe taking away one of these spots that could be used as DP and finding the heck out of Beckham or, you know, something like that, or cutting them off with a transfer window, kind of like uh, FIFA and UEFA do. So I, I think that if something does come of this, I think that MLS needs to stomp it out quickly or other teams are going to start to do this just like they do in Europe. You're going to see some of these teams going against these big boards by spending illegal money or doing something illegal so uh heavy consequences should come if they do find something that is really worrisome with the transfer and and the signing so i think that's where they need to head
0: and something else that came out too is here okay so let's let's do a little background here on paul mcdonough okay uh he was a uh sporting director or whatever of orlando city when they first entered mls in 2015 he helped shape that team he then moved over to atlanta and he was uh he built that roster that that you know bought uh, that got the uh mls cup in 2018 he then went to miami helped establish their youth academy, USL affiliate, first team roster, got them up and running, then stepped down at the end of this year, 2020, and rejoined Atlanta. So people in Atlanta's fandom and people on Twitter were asking, MLS, are you investigating Paul McDonough as well? And they said, no. He is not part of the investigation. So that's where people are saying, okay, he was the sporting director. He was in charge of making the signings. Why would he not be targeted? Well, it could be that this is something that, again, if it's, if it's off the books, right? If it's off the books, it could be something that, you know, somebody else is, is dealing with. Does this mean that they are investigating Beckham himself? Are they investigating Jorge Mas? You know, who are they investigating for making this signing and, and that kind of stuff that that's what we'll find out. Right. Um, but uh, I can't wait to see what happens with this. And I feel like a lot of times if you have to announce that you're yeah. investigating, I feel like they have to already have some idea at MLS headquarters, that something actually went wrong. Right.
1: And this is going to open all the books. I mean, you're going to look at Higuaín's edition. I think true. It you got to that. look at that. you got to look at, uh, so the core that they've built down there in Miami, I know that, that that's something that was rumored in some of these articles was like, okay, so this goes to one player, but is it going to stem to some of these other players that really, you know, <laughs> that, that this could just start putting them in a huge hole. And then if it is other players involved, that becomes even more of a problem. And that becomes where like, then what do you consider? Do you consider forcing ownership to sell the club? Do you, you know, look at the club and say, okay, we're gonna cut you down, knock you out. Here's the thing. You know. Here's
0: why you can't have Beckham sell the club. I don't think it's a punishment. He was able to get this uh, expansion for like ten million dollars or right. something. It was like very low. These teams now go for like $300, dollars. He'd be just it would be making bank. And and I think that doesn't help any. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I guess maybe if Beckham And I don't know if Beckham would really care. Like I know he likes the league enough to have won it to, he he knows the league can grow. So that's why he wanted a team in the contract and stuff like that. But if he's already going to gain like 300 million, some dollars from it, just as a punishment, I don't know if that's good enough, but I, again, I don't know what an appropriate thing is for this. And I, and I'm, I bet, Oh, I can't wait till we preview Miami. I, I by then, hopefully, we already know what what happened here. But I, there's going to be people on both sides that say this wasn't enough and that it was too yeah. much, right? That's how it's going to be. The Miami fans are probably going to think it's too steep. Orlando and Atlanta fans, you know, their rivals, are going to think it's not steep enough. And you're going to have some people that say that was that was fair. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how that shapes and hopefully we don't have to wait too long again i think when you announce things like this you have to already know that they crossed the line somewhere or else what made you start investigating right somebody tipped you off somebody something came up that made you look right
1: yeah and then it was funny because i was on stoppage time i see city twitter and man city and of course being manchester united great legend um beckham you could tell that <laughs> They were like, man, he can't figure out how to spend money when that's, you know, they, they would flirt with some of those, you know, rules and regulations in, in UEFA and FIFA, too. Right. So it was, you know, and, and and I'm looking at their roster, and that's what's bad about this, right? This is kind of like that trust factor. You're looking at their roster and you're looking at players. They brought in Rodolfo Pizarro last year, they brought mm-hmm. in Shawcross this year. So, <laughs> you know, how far does it go? Because if this happens to Batuti, is that how you say it? Matuidi. Matuidi. Um, this is maybe something that's normal that they do. That that shuffling of additional money. See, I wouldn't to be get surprised
0: if this was a first time for them, just because they've only been around a year, that's in true. the sense, too, that Matuidi is young and he's a World Cup winner with yeah. France. And I feel like them wanting to get somebody that's like 28, 29 into the league um could make sense. Like, I don't think you're going to have to pay Shaw Cross off the books. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're not going to be right. doing that. Higuain I would be worried about maybe. Um, other than that, I, I think everything's probably above board. But my issue with where this comes in is that this team wasn't even good enough. So you, you, you skirted the rules, potentially, allegedly. And it didn't even really get you anything. Like, I know Matuidi came in in the summer, right? So, like, but really, that was the whole season, right? I mean, like, we had two or three weeks. I think it was two weeks at the beginning of the season before COVID shut down. And then you have the MLS's back tournament in, like, July. So, at at that rate, it's, you know, I'd have to actually look to see when Matuidi actually started his first match for them because I don't recall. But at that point, you know, he was there for almost the whole season. And, you know, they started off with like five straight losses or something. It was like the worst record of an expansion team in their first five games. So uh, they did get up enough to get into the playoffs, but they immediately got bounced out. But, it, it you know, it just – I mean, if you're going to skirt the rules – you should be doing that to players like Ronaldo or Messi. That's going to get short of the top. Not blaze my (laughs) Tweety.
1: Yeah. So looking back at his game log, it looks like his first match was against Nashville on September 6th, 2020.
0: Okay. So like right after they, they started up again in August, Mm -hmm. end of August. So, I mean, he was, he was there pretty early on.
1: Yeah. But you know, again, if it, if it is the case it's got to be harsh punishment it's got to be because you don't want what happens in Europe like where you're getting teams that are just abusing the rules because then eventually you you on the talk yeah hey we were we were we were not guilty Jordan okay yeah sure, sure. shakes uh, he doesn't spend more money than he needs to and nor does he break the rules um just wait till he signs messy and uh, holland and then we'll just be um, <laughs> we'll be fine when nothing happened just look the other way um but no I, I think that in the MLS like you've got to be careful with this situation because this is this is rough sledding going forward if you let this kind of just you know if, if they if they do find something and they don't punish them harshly enough then te- like if they take away a draft pick I mean is your first yeah, offense like you know what I mean? Like a first offense is that like because most draft picks don't work out anyway, so right. Is it you know, once some of these teams that are you know, Portland or Seattle or LAFC or LA Galaxy, like these teams that are going to start climbing back up and being up towards the top in the West, they're just going to shuffle out draft picks because they're
0: like, those are useless to How us. About How about this? How about this? I just thought of this you lose a DP spot for the year, that'd be fair
1: yeah
0: he should have been a dp guess what it doesn't mean you have to sell him that means you have to create a new contract with him if he's not going to sign for it or you have to sell him but you're only going to have two dps this year Do
1: you suspend the player
0: no because i don't know i mean theoretically could have been his agent that set this up i I don't really put too much blame on the player because i don't know you know with the way that players just let their agents handle everything and I just don't know how he would have been able to do this himself. Um, I think you really have to take a look at the, the team itself. Cause the team knows it's skirting rules. Blaise Matuidi has no idea what a DP is. He's got no idea how MLS is set up. Probably I can't fault him for that. It's not like that's how they run everything overseas too, you know? So like for him, he's probably thinking, Oh, if they're going to pay me additional money like this. Oh, sure. Whatever. Like, like, bonuses, I don't, know, I don't know if he knows that's wrong, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I could be wrong, right? I could be wrong. I just don't think that that's something that like, I just I'm just looking at it as like a foreigner coming over to this league and how weird this league is that he would be like, Oh, I know all the rules and this is wrong. I, I think that's more on, like I said, the agent, though. Also, if the agent's not familiar with the league, I gotta put most of the blame on the front office. And I do want to know why Paul McDonough is not being looked at too. Cause if he was in charge of the transfers, he would have had to have been in talks. So I'm not really sure. Is it preferential? to Atlanta? I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, I don't know. But one thing tells me that uh, this team is a dumpster fire, right? They don't even have a stadium in Miami yet. They're in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, they haven't been great. They, Beckham got so tired. of, And I don't know how much you can blame on Beckham because again, he wasn't happy with the team and he's taking more control now than when last year, because he was unsatisfied with how they acted. So I, I just don't know who they're pinning this on. And I'm sure when it comes out, we still won't know the full story, unfortunately, but I hope we get some sort of clarification of who was at fault and, why they arrived at the punishment they did. Uh, but who do we have with us today, Logan?
1: Yeah, so we got Sam Savar. Uh, I'm sure he will correct me on this yeah, one. Yeah, we'll ask him. I think it's Savilar, <laughs> um, is how you pronounce it. But Sam has contributed to Stump Town Footy he that is the timbers sb nation we tend to have a lot of those guys on but we love it because i think that they do a fantastic job sam does a really wonderful job uh writing uh,
0: logan you would fit right in there with your last name you should just be i know a that's timbers what i was thinking write i write for sb nation wait till they
1: see my zoom <laughs> name um but again no yeah. sam <laughs> sam's gonna pop on and we're going to talk some Portland Timbers. I'm excited about this one because I think that uh, Jordan and I are on, are in agreement on this one, and I'm sure we will cover that after the interview. But I think it, it's good time to welcome on Sam.
0: Welcome, Sam Smiller, to the show. How are you doing, Sam?
2: Hey, I'm doing well. How are you guys doing?
0: But it's good to have you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so if you could just, uh, you know, tell our listeners where they have, uh, where they can find your work. Uh, and also like how long you've been a fan. So like, uh, are, are you somebody that has been there since the beginning, uh, even before MLS and and stuff like that?
2: Yeah, I was I was aware of the Timbers um, growing up. I grew up in uh, southwest Washington, which is just right across the river from Portland, if you're aware of your Pacific Northwest geography. Um, and I, I was aware of them through, you know, their USL times. I actually, at one point when I was playing club soccer, my team was actually, uh, ball boys once for a Timbers game. Oh, that's awesome. the USL days, So, um, it was pretty cool, but, um, I didn't really, I wouldn't say I really kind of really started like really following them until they came into MLS in 2011. Um, my first Timbers match in person wasn't until 2012, and it ironically enough happened to be a reverie match against uh, the Seattle Sounders, and it was the first time they had beaten them in MLS, like since they had entered the league in 2011, um, and from that point on, when I saw the just atmosphere and the environment in Providence Park, um, I was hooked, like I was like, oh, okay, this is this is my place, these are my people, <laughs> um, uh, so it's pretty cool, um, I've been, quote-unquote, formally <laughs> covering uh, the team for uh, Stumptown Footy since 2019. Um, been writing for them for a couple seasons, um, you know, live-tweeting games. Uh, most of my stuff is there. Um, yeah, excited for the season start and having, you know, more to write about than just off-season speculation. Right.
0: Yeah, it's got to be awesome, you know, just seeing the growth of this team from, you know, their first season in the league with, I believe, it was John Spencer as manager. Yeah, very, you know, not as fun to watch back then. Uh, to yeah. you know, to the Caleb Porter to now uh, Giovanni Savarisi and the the style of play that you guys have. And congratulations on the MLS's back the tournament <laughs> you. as well. Yeah. That was one of the first things we actually covered. We, we have a separate podcast too called Stoppage Time Soccer Show, which um, we started first, which was about kind of more like world soccer, main, main focus on Premier League and Champions League stuff like that. But uh, then, uh, you know, I would kind of cover the MLS side of it uh, on there. And then I decided to create my own uh, side venture with Stateside Soccer Show and Logan's joining this season for it. So, um, yeah, so that was one of the first things we really covered was that uh, that win from uh, the Timbers over Orlando. So uh, great. And then you're qualifying for Champions League through that. So that's that's great. But um, yeah first question i guess is uh can you explain the atmosphere at providence park pre-covid you just said it won you over and uh you know you got timber joey right uh yeah (laughs) what what is that like because i think like i mentioned uh off the show here that that's kind of like my dream matchup to go to to see a game is portland seattle and i would rather see it in portland to kind of get that providence park vibe
2: yeah it's i think the so uh Providence Park was originally built to house a uh, baseball team. It was originally PGG Park used to oh, host wow. a, a baseball stadium. Yeah, um and because of that it is very intimate. It's very like close quarters. Like it's not like, it's not like your conventional American big stadium. So it's very kind of like close and intimate and like the Timbers army runs like right up like to the field and like all of the stands are like really close. So when that place is when, you know, when the Timbers are playing well and the place is on its game, like it can get rocking, it can get really loud. Um, And that was made even more so uh, because of the recent renovations that the stadium undergone uh, in Um, in 2018 and 2019. um, They added, they completely redid um, the entire east side of the stadium. They added like new stanchions. They added like an overhang, which kind of traps the sound a little bit more. Um, So, you know, when it's at capacity, it's, you know, it's not the biggest stadium in MLS. It's like 23, 24,000. But, you know, when it's packed and when it's rocking, like it's, it's one of the loudest. And I think there's been games when, you know you can just feel the energy shift and especially when the timbers army are attacking the north end attacking the timbers army side like going towards it it just feels like that's sucking them in and it just like it just like draws them in and they just like they they live off of that they thrive off of that um you know that made 2020 like all the more bizarre to watch and just i i don't know how it was for the players on the field right, right. like i don't i don't know how it was but it it, it just wasn't it, i don't think it had the same effect um and I think, you know, it was definitely one of the things that I missed just personally, just being able to go, go to matches. Um, and I'm sure it also probably didn't feel the same for the players on the field either um, when they were playing.
0: One thing I will say though, too, cause I, like I mentioned before, I was, I was in Portland 2014, just like on a road trip. I went to Seattle, went to Portland, I went kind of like all over, but just like you said, with it being kind of like a smaller stadium, but it's like literally right off the street. Like I was walking on a sidewalk (laughs) right next to it, you know, when there was no game going on and I'm like, it's literally right here. Like when, from where I am, I'm in, I'm in Baltimore usually in in this area. And, um, it's like, usually you have like the big, you know, parking lots and then the stadium sitting right in the center of it. So it's just very different to see It, it, it just looked so, uh, interesting you know being right there yeah you know, right <laughs> it's, off the it's pretty unique i think
2: i think you're seeing you know in mls there's this definitely this this movement towards having more soccer specific stadiums which is great right. like that that's an awesome thing like you're seeing that and i think you're seeing the different um i guess attitudes towards it or different like perspectives of how what that looks for each in the individual markets and some of the new stadiums you're seeing you know columbus's new stadium Cincinnati's, like they look great and i think it, it, it's cool to know that like In a way, they're almost like in in a very similar vein to how Providence Park currently is with that intimate, you know, setting. Like, you're not seeing like 50, 60,000 stadiums, you know, seating stadiums being built. You're seeing these smaller ones. And I think that's reflective of the atmosphere. Like, multiple MLS players say that, like, when you go to Portland, you know it's going to be loud. You know it's going to be, you know, intense. There's, like, pressure there. Um, So I think that that was, you know... It was cool that that was at one point like unique in MLS that it was one of like the the smaller stadiums. I think you're going to see more and more of them, which is I think a good thing for the league overall. Um, And I I, I agree with you. I think it's really cool that it's just like in the city and you can just like walk by it. I think that it really kind of um, adds to, I think, the vibe, the whole entire kind of atmosphere around, like, the point like connection
0: to the city. Yeah, the exactly. It's, it's, like, like right I think there. There's, yeah.
2: yeah, exactly. And that's reflected, I think, in a lot of the fandom. Um, you see uh, a lot of the, you know, if you're aware of the Portland Timbers, like you, you can't really be like a nominal fan. You're just like, you're, you're in it. Like you're just really part of it. So, um, and you see that with, well, with the NWSL franchise as well, the Portland Thorns, like they play in the same stadium. Mm-hmm. It gets just as loud there, which is pretty cool. Um, so uh, I really appreciate that aspect of it as well.
1: I was going to say, it's got to be intimidating going into that, just that wall. I mean, just that side of that stadium that just, it, it's almost built like it's almost straight up. It's mm-hmm. It's got that towering, we're watching over you. We're going to annihilate you from every aspect. <laughs> and then those counterattacks yeah. just have to be, especially because they've got the guys that create, and we'll get to that. But I mean, just <laughs> the excitement, Just you can just probably tell it flooding through the stadium. Um, I was always can, looking, like looking at that stadium, looking at those fans and
2: those fan base. It, it just makes me jealous for the other sports because there's nothing quite like yours. Yeah, it's it's really cool, and I think it's 2020. Exposed. It's like we really had like a really awesome thing there, and I think we didn't realize it until we had to watch it empty and watch the Timbers playing an empty stadium. Um, so I think you know it makes me all the more excited for when we can you know safely, hopefully, hopefully soon, um, go back in person.
1: I was gonna say, so when you do go back and f- as fans, you're going to be looking at some new kits on the boys. Uh, I think that they do a nice job of kind of reflecting in the past. Can you just give us some of your thoughts on the kit and then maybe a grade you wanna give it
2: if you're if you're <laughs> gutsy enough out there to give one? Oh, I, I'd say like a solid, like B, maybe B minus if you're in a bad mood. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I do think I agree with you that I appreciate that. Uh, every Timbers jersey since they've joined MLS has been interesting like they've tried something with it um I think you know you see there's this and it's probably because of the the the, uh, partnership that the league has with Adidas and how based upon the way they construct jerseys they always do it you know two years in advance like this year's kit for example was like like finalized back in like 2019 um so because of that you're seeing this movement towards like more templatized kind of like a little more plain, a little more straightforward. Um, A lot of either like plain white or plain black jerseys. And like, you know, those can look good. They can look like simple and straightforward, but I appreciate that the club I support has, has a jersey that they're at least like trying to implement some elements trying to do something interesting with it um right. i read about this for for on footy how you know, it was really divisive um <laughs> for for some reason i don't think i don't think the uh the owner merrick paulson saw that coming he he was hyping it up on twitter like the year before like this is going to be like you know like this is going to be like everyone's going to love it like some cloud freezer and then you know it was like nope it wasn't quite <laughs> <that level." laughs> um but I, I i like it like i kind of like the throwback to the the 2011s like you know like jordan you were saying like those those looked those are look, look cool like those looks yeah really but clean. i missed the white sleeves i really like yeah, white I, sleeves <laughs> i want mls to bring back long sleeves apparently they haven't done that apparently this year they yeah, will be coming yeah. back i don't know that's what i heard um but uh yeah i think i kind of like how that's like a um like an update on it kind of like a retake of it and kind of like somebody said it's like a mashed up version of the 2011 jersey from the the 2017 jerseys which are just kind of more of a plain forest green um and you know some people were saying that like it looks like a worse version of both of those and like I, i think it looks cool like i think the callbacks to the past are interesting um i think you know if there's smaller elements like the stitching down the middle I think kind of looks a little like baseball-ish so you know, maybe that's why it doesn't hit into like b plus a range uh, for me but you know I do like how that's appreciative of that and I like how it gave us um, a great video of Eric Williamson um, tearing the 2011 jersey in half to reveal the 2021 version much <laughs> like he did through the league this year <laughs> <pretty> much, yeah, <laughs> so. <laughs> so.
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, I think Jordan and I uh, won't tell you our thoughts on the on the kit.
0: <laughs> I, I think we've had a, not a fan. Nah, I, I think it was the the stitching, right, Jordan? I think we had the biggest yeah, the issue with stitching yeah. on it. Yeah, I, I think yeah, I was a fan of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and
1: Dor- Jordan is Jordan is very hard to please with kits. Like I'm an Orlando sitting fan. Mine <laughs> I, um... just dropped, and he still hasn't told me what he thought of it. Um, but...
0: I like the other
2: one better. But, uh... <laughs> Yeah, I saw um, those earlier today. I thought those look cool. Yeah, 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 no problem. But I'm the fan of MLS. Like, if you're trying something interesting, cool. Exactly. You're at least get a passing grade for me. Like, I don't know. Like, like when, yeah. I'm not gonna shout out any other teams, but we, we all know who those are. Those yeah. ones who have, yeah. Like, the just the simple, like, white jerseys and just like the, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. So, uh, speaking of 2020, and, and kind of thinking about the past can you kind of take us through the season? What were the key takeaways and does the club finish where, you know, they kind of expected to, I know there was a lot working against them.
2: Yeah. So yeah, 2020, I mean, it was was a hard year for everyone in the league and I think um, for the Timbers, like definitely more. So there was, I think a lot of, you know, like there's high hopes going into this season with some of the offseason acquisitions they made going into that season. Um, And I think, you know, Before, you know, the pandemic kind of shut everything down, those first couple games, a little shaky, like they dropped their home opener at home to Minnesota, um, then they barely beat Nashville um one nil and so at that point people were like oh what's gonna happen like what about the timbers and then the pandemic happened and then when you know like you mentioned the mls is back tournament happened like they came out just like gangbusters just out the gates like it was like oh okay they use this time off wisely <laughs> they use it well um so i think you know like you mentioned like they they, they won that thing they won the tournament which i think was, was a big deal um you know some will say that it's like was it relevant was it really relevant like it felt like a weird preseason tournament and like i get that but you know you look back at what the players said about it, the fact that they were spending, you know, a month to month and a half, eight, nine weeks away from their families um, during a pandemic, you know, kind of in like this little bubble in in Orlando. And, you know, they cared about it. Like you saw on the field, like the teams that were there towards the end, like they cared about winning the thing. So I think it mattered a lot to the team and it mattered a lot to the fans to see them to see them win that tournament. And, and like you said, earning that uh, Champions League berth, I think that's provided like a lot more excitement for for this season for 2021. Um so I think overall you could call 2020 a success, but at the same time still a disappointment just because of how it ended. Um I think based upon their form and how they were looking mostly going into the season or going to the postseason of the playoffs, people thought Portland can make a run here, like because of the single, you know, single elimination like The style of of the of the playoffs now, you know, they had won a single elimination tournament earlier in the season. So, you know, Giovanni Savarese's teams, um, you know, if they show they're able to get up for a single elimination tournament and and play well, but um, just kind of getting, you know, kind of getting punched in the mouth uh, in that first round matchup and getting eliminated in in penalty kicks against Dallas, um, that left I think a bitter taste in our mouth just because of just kind of how it has kind of ended, you know abruptly like before any of us was really ready for it you know and uh
0: one thing that you know speaking of like how how good i'm sure you're very happy seattle lost uh the the final (laughs) uh but really when you look at it something that amazed me when i realized uh you know before the the season i think i mentioned this on one of the shows i did by myself before logan joined me is it's been either Seattle or or Portland in the MLS Cup Finals since 2015. Yeah. So you had the Timbers versus the Crew, which, uh, you know, the Timbers won there. Then you have uh, Seattle-Toronto, Toronto-Seattle, Atlanta-Portland, uh, Seattle-Toronto, Columbus-Seattle. and <laughs> Seattle. yeah. So a lot of the same teams there, uh, except for Atlanta, really. It's a lot of uh, Toronto-Columbus-Seattle-Portland. Mm-hmm. What is it that you think that makes Seattle and Portland more successful in the Cascadia triangle than teams like Vancouver uh, or also just the whole West really? Uh, You know, what is it that makes, even though you didn't win MLS cup this year, you also won the the MLS back as we just talked about. So Mm -hmm, like, yeah, you're you're constantly one of those two teams is, is winning the tournament. (laughs)
2: Yeah, like the, you know, it's been some like if you have any sort of bracket predictions for any sort of tournament, you can probably pencil in one of Seattle or Portland and you <laughs> yes. probably have a good chance of being right. Yeah, I think there in were Columbus other, or Toronto in there and you probably got in it. In the <laughs> east, yeah. It's like, you know, you can try to plan out how it's gonna be, but it's probably gonna be either Toronto or Columbus at the end. Um yeah, I think when you look at, you know, both organizations, like there's, you know. It's a very much like, you know, a very right, like very healthy rivalry between Portland and Seattle, both as the teams and as the cities. Um, I think the cities themselves have a rivalry between each other, so between like the ethos in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and I think what you're seeing is I think both teams and famous just kind of feed off of that, like, you know. Seattle saw Portland win the first MLS Cup in Cascadia in 2015. Then they went and won in 16. And then Portland saw that, like, well, we got to get there. So they got there in 2018. So I think it's it's very much going back and forth. And I think the baseline that makes that is I think both organizations have like a lot of consistency in their coaching staffs, in their um Technical staffs like, you know, Gavin Wilkinson has been the uh, uh, director of soccer operations for, for Portland since, you know, since they joined MLS and, and even before then as well, um, even served as interim coach for a second in 2012 before, you know, the hired Karen Porter. And you look at Seattle and they've, they've had the same thing, like they have a lot of the same faces in their organization, even, you know, Brian Schmetzer, who's, you know, used to coach them when they are in the lower divisions and was always on the assistant staff under Ziggy Schmidt. Um, I think you see a lot of consistency and I think a consistent ethos in each organization. Like they have very consistent philosophies. I don't know if you see that as much with a club like Vancouver, like, you know, they have gone through a lot of changes in technical staff in coaching staffs. Um, I think if you, you know, force somebody to describe, like, what is Vancouver's style of play, what's the way they want to play, I don't know if you could, <laughs> just because I think it's changed so much, like, they have talent, like, there was that one season when they had Camilo San I think that was 2013, um, they had a really successful year, and just kind of mm-hmm. petered out in 2013, and rather than keep that club together, they... You know, so they broke up, like, I think they wound up firing their coach a year or two later. So I think it shows that, you know, having consistency in MLS is important. And as much as I think as frustrated as fan bases, as the Seattle and Portland fan bases can get when results aren't going their way. Like, I think hashtag GW out is trending at least once or twice a year for Portland Timbers fans. um or hashtag geo out or you know <laughs> whomever right. it is. Um I, I think it shows that when you have a consistent philosophy and a consistent like with your consistent set of ideas and you stick to those, it leads to more success than trying to just chop and change and try and like go to like the next shiniest object. Um, I hope that Vancouver gets to that point where it's really consistent because you know it'd be really cool if Cascadia could, you know, as really firmly establish itself like as kind of like the concentration of like the, you have power in, in MLS. Um, and Mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've been up to Vancouver for a couple games and their fan base is great. Like they, they almost deserve to have a team that's a lot more consistent and, um, you know, can like challenge, not just necessarily between Portland Seattle and the Cascadia cup, but also across the league and also, you know, for, for the standings and for trophies.
0: Awesome.
1: Yeah. So the, just before we get into the team, um, and I know this is the case with a lot of, I think, Seattle fans and Portland fans, and like you said, in Cascadia, they're very passionate about their players. They love their players. Um, being a basketball fan, watching the Supersonics leave, watching uh, up in that Cascadia area Portland, you know, the Trailblazers have their good years, and they're very passionate. I mean, that is one of the most passionate fan bases. Um, it seems like they've had a very rough relationship, that area of the country, and and when players leave, it looks like it's very just disheartening. I mean, you've had some really good talent in all sports leave. You also had some people leave this off season, And I think one that was interesting was Farfan um, because he had become a fan. You know, he, he was liked amongst the fans. Um, Filifana left, Duvall left. How do you know, how do fans take departures like, you know, and I know they're not like the dominant premier players that some of these other teams have lost in in that area. But what, how, how much do they miss those guys? And how does the city react when some of these players start to kind of leave these towns?
2: Yeah, I think that's that's a great point. Like I think the relationship between players and the fans, like in smaller markets and regions like this, I think is, is really, it it is evident. Like that's really, it's a close relationship and fans care. And, you know um, I remember after a, um, after going to a Thorns game one day, walking into an ice cream place and Nat Borchers when he was on the Timbers was just standing there. So you literally see them like out and about, like just, you know, living their lives because Portland, you know, is a major metro area, but it's not the biggest city in the world. So, um, you know, it is very real. So when you talk about players like like Farfan or, or Villafania, I think Villafania in particular had a strong emotional connection because he was part of that 2015 squad that won the cup and then left and then came back and helped them reach MLS Cup in 2018, you know, he's kind of become like one of the people, one of like the more consistent Timbers players. Um, When you see a player like him leave, it's always tough because you have that emotional connection and, you know, you want to see him stay and you want to see him do well. And at the same time, you understand that, you know, Jorge Villafanea, he's getting up there in age. He showed signs of inconsistency last season. Um, And when you look at the rationale that the front office had towards moving a player like him along, um, you know, they wanted to maximize what they could get from him, maximize the benefits. Um, Same thing with Marco Farfan. Like, you know, he was an up-and-coming player and and the front office was essentially making a bet by moving him to LAFC is that, okay, we bet that he's not going to develop into this like top level left back. That we are going to instead go out and buy in, in Claudio Bravo. Not not that Claudio Bravo, Claudio Nicolas Bravo. Um, <laughs> yeah, made that joke way too many um, But so when you see players like that leave, I think initially you see the fan base like, you know, get a little upset, like, you know, what's the front office doing and everything. And I think then people, you know, I would hope that folks reserve their judgment until they see how what they like why they made those moves like how bravo does how van Rankin does on the right side um you know seeing how they allocated those those assets and if it if it does pay off or not um i think the front office is definitely not afraid to move on from players or like start to you know make deals if they have to to get the team in the best position to win um you know there is fear going into 2020 season that Diego Valeri wasn't going to resign because there's the contract negotiation dispute. And you saw a lot of the fan base kind of, you know, very much take the side of the player over the front office. Um, so, you know, there's always going to be really passionate fans. And I think it always, always comes down to what are you going to show us? Like, what do you show on the field? If you're going to perform for us, if you play really well and you know, you show that you are passionate about the club and you're putting in a good effort, then we're going to cheer our hearts out for you. Um, And, you know, then we'll understand kind of where you fit kind of into the whole equation.
0: So uh, moving on to the actual team here, We'll, we'll start with the attacking Side here last year, you know, Timbers lost Sebastian Blanco after like nine matches right after the start back from MLS is back pretty much. Uh, Obviously, it's very important for him to come back healthy uh, because, you know, he's one of the best players in the league when healthy. Uh, What does he mean to this team? And like. What what do you think his ceiling is here in in this team and in this league?
2: Yeah, you know, before Blanco went down, there's just brutal injury last last year in the fall. Um, I think before he went down, like he was very much playing at like MVP caliber level. Like you right. saw he won, he was, you know, he was the board, the most outstanding player at the MLS's back tournaments. He was playing that level and, you know, 2020, like there was no reason to believe that he wouldn't potentially be in that conversation towards the end of the season if he kind of continued on that trajectory. Um, You know when he went down, like that was a big blow for the team, not just in his like goals and assist production, but I think in also the emotional presence that he brings. He's definitely like along with you know Valeri and Diego Chara, he's one of those X factors out there on the field that can you know when the team is down, he can just make something happen. Um, You know out of nowhere can just like rifle off a banger and just be like okay that woke everybody up and get things happening. And I think without that, you know the team lost one of its emotional leaders, one of its leaders on the field. Um, and, you know, they still went on to have, like, they had a pretty successful season restart in the playoffs, mm-hmm. you know, or disappointment. Um, but it was an open question of, like, you know, what, how much more would have Blanco helped lift the, the team once they got to those playoffs? Like, could he have potentially scored a goal during regular time so we didn't even have to go to extra time? And, like, we didn't have to wait until, you know, the 85th minute for, scoring a goal there in that playoff matchup against Dallas. Um, and yeah, you totally hit it on the head. Like how he comes back is probably the biggest question going into 2021 so far. Um, from the videos that I'm seeing on his Instagram and that the Timbers organization are putting out, like he is just working like a warrior to come back. Like he's just busting his butt to, to get back on the field and get to that same level. If he can, if he can play at that same level, like I don't see any reason not to believe that he could hit those same heights and be in the MVP conversation through 2021 um, and then from there he could you know potentially lift the team to even greater heights in 2021 I think it's not outside the realm of reason that I think if you get a healthy Blanco if you get a healthy Diego Valeri and healthy Diego Chara um, that this team shouldn't be challenging for trophies come 2021.
1: I was gonna say I, watching the videos I can just tell how much he Works for them and how much the guys around in the training staff. I mean rehabbing them. Uh, I mean everybody is very interested in how that rehab's going because you can just see the guys kind of lingering in and out, kind of looking, going, "Hey, this is uh, really important that you come back healthy." And it, I really, you know, it, it sucks because it, you hope that he would be healthy and, and being able to compete in the Champions League. Just because it, that would be cool to see him at this with this side at full force getting a chance to compete with some of the top teams over here.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, I, I've seen the the team saying that they're like Blanco is like trying to smash records for his return timeline. They're like we they almost have to hold him, hold him back a little bit. And like, hey, slow down, man. Like you have time. Like you have to get back to it. Um, I think from everything that they're saying and from everything that I'm seeing, they are expecting him to be back at least in time for the MLS season on April 17th. And so I think they're also said that they're they're hopeful for him to be back for uh, those CCL legs against um, yeah when they have to play those. Um, uh, so you know, I don't know if it's a question of whether he's going to start or not, um, against, against CD marathon. Um, but I think you, I, I think odds are good that you'll probably see him at least make an appearance. Definitely. I think more so in the home leg against mm-hmm. uh, marathon, um, at Providence Park than maybe when they're down in, uh, yeah, when they're down in South America.
1: Yeah, that'd be awesome. So uh, one of my favorite things reading in your articles, you call them the Dos Diego's. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, that is so perfect that I, I love that. Um, just the way that you call them that. Um, can you speak to their importance? How, you know, what do you expect from them this season? And uh, again, Diego Chara seems like he just doesn't age at all.
2: Speak to the importance of that. I mean, that they are, there's a, there's an adage in Portland amongst Portland fans for like, you know, build the statue. Um, And I think it's normally reserved for Diego Valeri, but I think in the same breath, people say, and then build a statue of Diego Chara right behind him, laying in a tackle (laughs) to win the ball. (laughs) Um, They're huge. Like, (laughs) like they're the hearts and souls of this Timbers team. They have been, um, Diego Chara has been with the team since they entered MLS in, in 2011. So he has been just an unheralded star for most of their time. And Valeri has been, you know, the best player for the Timbers since, you know, since he came in in 2013. Um, and since they came in, since they kind of, you know, established themselves in the team, they have been the key players for that team ever since. And that's continuing to into 2021. Um, whatever fountain of youth that they are drinking from, I, you know, pray that it like keeps giving that it does not run dry yet because they are consistently showing that you know they're winning that battle so far against against father time against getting older and injury um i think you know i would hope that this season maybe you'll see a little bit more rotation um particularly when it comes to uh diego valeri just because he does have some history of injury with you know he tore his acl one year he's had hamstring problems um Some knee problems. Um, So, you know, I'd hope to see it more, but this team, the way it is constructed, it is still built around, you know, Diego Chara and Diego Valeri being themselves like Diego Chara, just winning all the balls and creating more chances and like being that stalwart in the central of the midfield and Diego Valeri being that creator of chances and that dangerous goal threat. Um, the way the team is constructed, it still is relying upon them to do that this season. Um, And you're seeing that, I think, in a lot of the moves that the team has made. You know, they haven't made a ton of big moves this offseason outside of just the two fullbacks Um, and the way that they're kind of prioritizing things on the periphery um, of ensuring they have, you know, Eric Williamson for a long-term contract, um, ensuring that they keep, you know, Felipe Mora so that the front line stays, stays consistent. I think, you know, if you want to think about goals for 2021 and like, you know, where they're eyeballing, like I think the organization is probably rightly claiming that the championship window for this team is probably this season, maybe next if they can really extend Diego Valeri and Diego Chara, Um, you know, they're both going to be 34 this season. So that's, that's getting up there in age for a professional soccer player. Um, So, you know, how they manage that and how they perform will be a huge, you know, that will show a lot to how they're going to actually, to how successful they're going to be in 2021.
0: Uh, so looking forward at the uh, forwards, I uh, did not mean to do that, but that's <laughs> just how I came out there at the striking position. <laughs> uh, who do you expect to get the most minutes out of, you know, like Nia's goda uh, Mora and, uh, I always say Abobase. Uh but is yeah. that how it's, is that how it is, Abobase? Yes, I believe okay. that is. <laughs> Cuz I always hear like Ibobise or Abobase. Yeah, I never for know a couple exactly which league. one's
2: right. <laughs> a couple years in the league nobody nobody knew how to say his name. <laughs> yeah, <that's>, yeah. <laughs> which, you know, I get it. Um but uh yeah, I think that is that was a huge question in 2020 and it was I think one of the main storylines of like which forwards are performing well was kind of winning the spot and you know it's continuing into 2021 because they're all going to be back in some form he's is coming off of you know his own injury he's I think I saw timelines that he's probably not expected back until mid to late summer potentially um so you know until then like I think if I could convince coach Giovanni Savarese of anything it would be to make Jeremy Obobese your starting number nine, treat Felipe Mora as depth, and then go from there. Um, But right. I don't think that's what the coach is going to do. He likes Felipe Mora. Felipe Mora had a really good 2020 with the Timbers. I'm happy to see them bring him back. I think he definitely adds a different skill set than Bobisi does at the number nine position. Um, And I think he showed that he can, you know, he's established really good uh, on-field relationships with, you know, players like Jimmy Chara, with Diego Valeri, with, you know, all of the other contributors um in order for him to, you know, score goals and he can score those. I think when you when you're talking about who's probably going to get the most minutes, um, I think when you consider the fact that, you know, oftentimes say would play Felipe Mora as the number 9 and then Jeremy Bobacsi on the wing. You know, they both got similar numbers of minutes last season. Just I don't think Jeremy he got as many as just the sole starting number nine. I would expect we'll probably see very much similar things to that, especially if Sebastian Blanco is still working his way back to 100% right. um, in the early season. I think when all is said and done, I think you'll probably see a pretty equal rotation between the three, judging by the Timbers having to get sc- to juggle. Champions League competition, regular MLS competition, how it goes, potentially U.S. Open Cup once the league figures out who is going to go into that competition once it starts. Um, And, you know, MLS seasons are long, you know, it's definitely it's more of a marathon than a sprint. So having depth is never a bad thing. But I think it is an open question for kind of what is Jeremy obobasi's kind of long-term future in Portland. He just signed a new contract before the 2020 season. Um, he's not, you know, he's not young anymore by any measure. He's entering kind of like his mid-20s, like, you know, the prime of a player. There were rumors this offseason about him potentially going on loan to a European team, potentially transferring. So I think... What happens with him, like what happens with the rotation between him, Mora, and Nizkoto once he's back, I think is going to tell a lot about how the Timbers view Jeremy Bovesky's future in Portland, Um, whether they're viewing him as their long-term number nine for the next, you know, three, four years, or if maybe by, you know, next offseason, maybe they're exploring transferring him and trying to make a profit off of developing him since they drafted him in 2017.
0: Do you think it halted his development at all? Because it was actually surprising that he was not uh he was one of the first cuts for the Olympic uh yeah, roster.
2: I, I was too. And I think it from from what the I heard from the team, they were surprised as well, just based upon when you look at that, the preliminary roster, when you look at the out and out forwards, the strikers that are on that team, Jeremy Bobacy has, you know, he's had one of the stronger resumes on that entire team. first team team minutes, yeah. Yeah, 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 I think. And then when you look at Jason Kreiss' comments, when he talks about it, I think, you know, it sounds like they just valued other forwards above him. Um, Yeah, that's what was interesting to me. (laughs) Yeah, so I think, you know, I mean, yeah, and he doesn't, When he plays as a number nine for Portland, he's really effective. He is like one of the best goals per 90 stats amongst the league when he plays as a full-time number nine. It's almost to his detriment that he's such a a talented player and such a flexible player that he can also play as a pretty effective winger. Um, When he plays as a winger, he's usually good for an assist every other game or so, an assist or two um i think it's it's you know kind of a drawback that he's so flexible because it does mean that he can work his way into the team and get first team minutes um i think part of that equation of what happens with obovacy is what does he want like eventually at some point he probably if he does value a future on the national team which i think he should um because i think he can definitely add something to the u.s men's national team at the forward position um he needs to you know he would, he may potentially need to push the team for saying, you know, I want to be a number nine on the national team. I want to earn number nine minutes. Like when I'm playing club soccer, if you can't give me that then maybe we should explore transfers or other things. That's a potential scenario that I think could occur. I don't know if it's, it's like styming his development per se. I think it's more of kind of what type of resume is he wanting to build to potentially work towards that uh, spot on the national team, or if he does eventually want to work his way to Europe how he wants to get there.
1: Yeah, You alluded to development and one of the more impressive stories for the Tempers was Eric Williamson. You talked about how he signed a new contract. How big of a jump did he make last year and how far or really how high is his ceiling in 2021?
2: Yeah, I think it was kind of came out of nowhere. Like he hadn't played much during the first two regular season games before it shut down. And then he came out during those first games that uh, MLS is back and like, you know, locked it down in the midfield. Um, That was really refreshing to see. He had a great season, I think in 2018 with Timbers too, um, with the, uh, their USL side. And so he showed that he has talent, the Timbers traded for his homegrown rights. So, you know, they know he has talent too. And I think it was really refreshing to see a young player come up, earn minutes, earn a starting spot, become a really strong contributor for the team, because the Timbers don't have a history of doing that. Um, I would, argue that, you know, the only, the, you saw it with Darlington Nagby when they drafted him in 2011. He was probably the strongest success story out of developing players. Um, but outside of him, you know, that the the list is maybe Darlington Nagby, Jeremy Bobacy, Eric Williamson, maybe Marco Farfan, depending upon how he does in his future. There's not a lot of stories of Timbers developing players and like relying upon them. So seeing Williamson make the jump last year was, was big. And I think that means that his 2021 is going to be just as big, you know, he earned that new contract. He earned himself as a starter spot. Um, I think if he can develop into a playmaker into a playmaking midfielder for the Timbers, that could be useful for them in a lot of ways, both as, you know, the number eight box-to-box position that he plays when Diego Valeri is on the field and potentially as a, you know, to help supplant Diego Valeri when Diego Valeri needs to be like, you know, needs to be rotated or on the bench. If Williamson can take that spot, that's big for the Timbers because they can rest Valeri. They can rely upon another playmaker and, you know, knocking on all the wood <laughs> if hopefully Diego Valeri doesn't stop his Timbers tenure anytime soon. Right. Um, but once maybe that day comes, maybe then they already have a replacement set up in Eric Williamson. So, you know, he took a big jump in 2020. And I think that pressure is just going to get bigger on him for, for 2021 to continue to show that.
0: So we already kind of mentioned uh, the, the, def- the defense a bit. You mentioned Bravo when we were talking about um, uh, Villafana. Uh, do you see Bravo as the starting left back and you, is there any sort of depth to worry about in both of the fullback positions at all? Well,
2: considering that as of the time we're talking, the Timbers only have one left back signed to their roster, and that's Claudio Bravo. <laughs> I think they're probably going to need some more depth. There. <laughs> um, I think they're going to. They're, they're going to make at least one more signing. It sounds like they have maybe a couple of potential trialists in their training camp at the moment. Um, that could, you know, provide depth of the left back spot, but yes, I think the team is viewing Bravo as the starting left back and he's got the pedigree to fit it. I mean, he's spent, you know, two strong seasons in the Argentina first division with Banfield, um you know, made something like 34 starts throughout, throughout the time. Um, And, you know, he's going to be turning 24 here pretty soon. You know, he's not, he's not a young player by any definition. He's an established vet. And I think the Timbers are really looking on him to be a difference maker, to be like a game changer at left back, I think you know, Merritt Paulson on Twitter is hyping him up to be one of the top left backs in the league. Um, and, you know, based upon the money that they're paying for him, they're really hoping that he turns into that. You know, they use targeted allocation money to, to get him. And like you said, they, they transferred Marco Farfan and Jorge Viafania in order to bring him into the squad. Um, I think, you know, he has all the tools. He has the pedigree. Like he has kind of like, he, he looks like he could be that difference me- difference maker at left back MLS is just littered with players who look like they should be able to come into the league. No problem. And then just, just can't (laughs) just the, the, that transition isn't, isn't smooth. So, you know how quickly and how smoothly he establishes himself in the league, in the team, I think will be huge for the Timbers because they don't have proven depth. They traded away their proven depth at at the left back spot. Um, Right back is similar, but not at the same um same level uh they, they signed jose carlos Fenrínken, um who's you know established league mx vets um maybe 28 29 i think um you know a veteran player looks to be steady like has a lot of experience playing in like you know north american leagues i think the odds are higher that he is transition will be a lot smoother going into um going into the team um and then they also have uh pablo bonilla who, you know, initially they signed to T2, wound up being called into first team duty, um, and, you know, didn't look too bad at the left back, at the right back spot, excuse me. Um, I think, you know, I think you can see a pretty good rotation between the two, and maybe Bonilla beats out Van Ranken towards the season if he really kind of rises to the challenge. Um, but that left back depth spot, like, I'm hoping they sign somebody soon. <laughs> so speaking of those positions, I mean,
1: you know, it, it wasn't, Horrible goal differential, but they gave up probably more than they wanted to. Um, I mean, do those two provide enough to support those center backs in the middle of that back line?
2: I, I hope so. I think like, like you said, like their their defense wasn't overall bad. I think when you look at um overall, like up until the 75th minute, that yes. defense is probably <laughs> pretty solid. But right. yeah, I think in, in in the last 15 minutes, Portland was I think the worst in the league yeah. for letting in win goals. They had the worst goal yeah. differential there. Um which you know was a big problem and it wound up being the thing that sunk them in in the playoffs when Dallas scored at the death and then you know at that point the whole air was taken out of the game that would happen so often during the season and it was, it was just baffling because you know again their, their center backs weren't they weren't poor by by any any measure during the season I think it may have been a combination of style, it may have been a combination of the way that the team was designed to play. Maybe they just weren't designed to kill off a game, to hold the ball. Um, and so then inevitably they would just revert into 8, 9, 10 behind the ball and just kind of try to, you know, defend crosses um, and you can only do that for so long. Um, I think having continuity between the back line will help hopefully, um, if you can have, you know, a pretty consistent starting back forward with those fullbacks, really understanding how they connect to the center backs, um, I think could help maintain some more stability with the team throughout, you know, all full 90 minutes. Um, And so um, I think with Bravo in particular, I think they're looking for a player that can get up and down the left side of the field, definitely contribute to the attack. Um, all of the highlight videos they're sharing of him are of either taking attack, taking defenders on or zipping in crosses, you know, swinging them in. I think, uh, you'll see that Timbers like to attack with having one fullback attack a little more advanced than the other. Um, you probably see Bravo do that, probably have Van stay home a little bit more on the right. Um, so I think, they obviously wanted an upgrade in quality on both of those positions, both, I think, in the attacking and defensive side. Um, so they're hoping that they can bring it. And if all pans out, then, you know, the players can provide what they're looking for, for the back line there.
1: I was going to say, it, it. I'm a Man City fan and, and Pep likes mm-hmm. to release one of those backs. He likes to release. Yeah. And it, honestly, when I was watching Bravo, obviously a rundown version of him, but I think Joao Cancelo left footed and when you see Bravo run up in those highlights videos that they're showing you, there's times where it almost looks like he's almost comfortable in the midfield as a, as a creator, just looking at the passes mm-hmm. that he can releases those wingers down the side or somebody cutting across. But um, I, I think it's, you know, the counter that they play and, and then having Van Rankin stay home and just kind of fill into that kind of like a back three where somebody can kind of suck back into that defense. Um, yeah. That was really impressive Bravo. I think that it, it's a good signing if he can transfer those
2: skills over to MLS. I agree. I think so, too. And I think the odds are good that he could probably transition. You know, Portland has a very strong, established contingent of Argentinian players. Um, You know, they have Diego Valeri, Sebastian Blanco, like on the team. They've been there for a while. Having Bravo come in and having those players they can communicate with and having that established, you know, having that established history, I think can help him come in um yeah i like everything i see from him as well like he fits the bill of the type of player that they're talking about that can contribute at at both ends um both ends of the pitch um you know you you mentioned the the fullbacks kind of tucking in and playing the middle like multiple times you'd see pablo bonilla do that on one side uh, last season as well. I think there was a goal that they scored against against the Galaxy last season, where the Nia was at like like the top of the box and like took a shot, and I had to like do a double take. <laughs> I was, I was it and I'm like, i was that like, is was that the Nia? Is <laughs> that a right back?" Um, which is is a cool. It's it's a good club to have in the bag for for the Timbers when they attack. Um, you're seeing under uh, Savarese a team that has transitioned, I think, very firmly away from Caleb Porter's you know Porter ball type of possession based soccer that they played from, you know, 2013 until 2017. I think you're seeing a Timbers team that attacks a lot more direct that, like you said, does value counterattacking. Portland has since 2017, 2018 been the most lethal on the counter-attack. That um, that is in part due to, you know, that is because of Diego Valeri's advanced age and how he is essentially playing as a second forward mm-hmm. nowadays, more so than more a conventional, like, you know, central attacking midfielder. Right. Um, and having strong fullbacks is a key piece of that because then they can become an immediate release valve become an additional player when they are in the attacking third uh, becoming a playmaker if, if Bravo can become like a supplemental playmaker when they're trying to you know create chances um, I think that could be a really big boon for the Timbers when they're trying to attack um, and I think it could help lead to you know more goals for them next season
0: Moving on to the Champions League, we're about a month out. Uh, April 6th uh, w- is when you play in Honduras, and then mm-hmm. April 13th back at Providence Park in Portland. Uh, what's the general vibe that you, th- that you see for like Portland fans uh, about their chances in this year's Champions League? And uh, did you think you got a good draw here against uh, Marathon?
2: I think the first round. I think they probably got as good of a draw as they could ask for. You know, no team is easy out in Champions League. Like right. getting Concacaf is like just a, like a cruel joke at this point yes. um, for MLS <laughs> sides. Um, and the Timbers have experienced that. You know, they've been in Champions League a couple times before. Their most recent run in um, 2016 came to an end in Honduras. Um, so I think you know, they know some of the players that are on the team. And I think the organization as a whole, they know how risky any away game is and any mm-hmm. game against a CONCACAF team can be. So I don't think they're taking anything for granted. Um They're not taking Marathon lightly. I think it is a good draw just based upon the league that Marathon comes from and the Honduran league. And, you know, I think MLS is, is of a higher quality than that league. I think, you know, the Timbers are probably on paper, the favorites, um a more talented team going into it. So you know, I think the general expectations that they'll probably make it past marathon in the first round after that, however, um, it's looking likely that they're probably going to be placing club America in, in the next round, Um, assuming that America, again, they're probably going to get past their, their first round team as well. Um, Crazier things have happened, but that's looking likely. And that, that's a steep proposition um, for an MLS side to get past a, uh, a Mexican side that is, you know, historically, they haven't done well against them. Um, lafc kind of bucked that trend a little bit last season yeah, with, three in you know, a row <laughs> that's really impressive and even just the comeback that they had against Lyon before you know before the champions they kind of started, like yeah. shut down like that was wild um so you know i i think that is a that is a steep hill for them to climb if they do wind up facing america so um again i think the, the timbers are in the ccl to win it like they're they're not treating it as just like another competition like Merritt Paulson has gone on record that he wants the Timbers to be the first team to win the current version of the CCL, to be the first MLS team to win that. So he wants them to win it. And I think everything you're seeing out of the players and the coaching staff is that they're, they're in it to win it as well. So if they do end up as America, I think they're going to give it their best shot. Um, You know, hope that they can get at least a positive result at the Azteca and then hold on for, for dear life at Providence park.
0: (laughs) It's refreshing to see a team take it seriously. Um, You know, when I look back at what could have been uh, Bruce Arena with that LA Galaxy team with Keane and Donovan and Beckham, and they just were always playing Zardes and the rest of the Galaxy 2 players, you know, when they're like (laughs) 18 years old. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they would get shellacked, you know, Uh, so it was... uh, (laughs) it's nice to see the team started taking more seriously. So I, I mentioned this before. I'm a union fan. So this is our first time in CCL. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get tickets to the game of whenever they release <laughs> so <laughs> I can go. But uh, yeah, you know, seeing like we're getting so close, right? Uh, LAFC had a lead. Uh, Toronto took it to penalty shootouts. Montreal was close at one time. Salt mm-hmm. Lake a few
2: years, you know, like 10 years ago now, but <laughs> crazy (laughs) yeah i think you're seeing i think i think seeing that consistently like teams get close i think has caused many mls sides that do have higher ambition who want to take it seriously be like hmm we actually might have a chance here we actually might like mls as a league its quality is approaching the level of you know these league mx sides and i think that's proving is kind of like like you know proof of them that hey if we take this seriously, if we play strong players, if we, you know, treat this like another competition that we can win, we might have a shot to like make it towards it. Um, I'm not going to fully believe that an MLS side can win it until I see it happen, because I was convinced that LAFC was going to do it last season. Yeah. Just that, that squad, the way they were constructed, the way that they had been kind of tearing through, you know, those opponents that wild semifinal round, Um, you know, it kind of seemed like they kind of had all, all of the stars aligning for them and then, you even had the happened. late
0: goal in like the 60 some minute, you know, to take the lead. It, it, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It was like, at that point, all I'm like, up. all right,
2: okay, this is, this is going to be it. Right. But then it just, it just happened again. <laughs> like just, just, just getting cocky and, and the league <laughs> MX side, just doing, just doing what it is. Um, I think, you know, I've always wanted to see the Timbers be a team that consistently gets into like those higher level competitions, um, yeah. you know, getting their first taste of it in 2014 was cool, you know, and getting it again after that in 2016, after they won the MLS Cup, um, I think if they can show that they can be successful in this competition, I think it will help prove to the fans as well that okay, we can be successful in continental competitions. We should be striving for that, and you know it'll help raise everyone's kind of expectations for for the Timbers, which I think have been probably steadily rising since since, since right. probably 2013, since they kind of had their like revival under Caleb Porter.
0: So the last question we usually ask here is what would be a successful season for the Portland Timbers? You you already alluded to that they should be challenging for silverware, but is it a you know particular type of silverware? You know, you, you want MLS's back. Uh, that's not something that some teams seem to have cared about, right? Uh, some fan base, the fan base, same thing with the Open Cup fan bases will say it's not important if they don't win it and if they win it, until win, it's right? Right? it doesn't matter uh, until they have the trophy. <laughs> but would Supporter Shield be enough or does it have to be the MLS Cup, uh, you think, to to really, you know, especially like you said with Valeri and Chara getting up there 34 plus. Yeah,
2: I think, I think that's the thing. I think the fact that they've only really won one major trophy with Diego Valera and Diego Chara in that side is is criminal (laughs) I think you know they're they're players that deserve all the trophies like I think that quality of the team um, it's not outside of the realm of reality to say that it's going to be like you know a trophy or bust for the Timbers in 2021 whether that's you know the CCL if they happen to be one of those teams that you know catches fire and goes on a magical run. Um, I'd love to have a supporter shield. That's, you know, one of the trophies that Portland has yet to win in right. MLS. Um, and I think they would value that definitely. And I think the fan base would value that. Um, I think getting, you know, I think one of the things that I know I have felt, and I think a lot of fans have felt the same is, is seeing Seattle consistently make MLS cups. I think just fuels our hunger for wanting to get another one as well. Um, you know, and I think, that is going to drive the team as well in 2021. I think my, my pipe dream, my like dream MLS cup final matchup, you know, cause hopefully come to December, we can have, you know, a safe MLS Cup of mm-hmm, fans mm-hmm. in the stands would be to have uh, Portland hosting the Columbus crew. Uh in 2021 is it'd be Caleb it's Porter going back to returns, Portland. Yeah. Porter back on this cup. Oh yeah, the rematch of 2015. So many storylines. Um it'd be perfect. <laughs> it's kind of like the big kind of like, you know, hopefully coming out of the pandemic, fingers crossed, knock on wood, do everything you can. Um and I don't think that's outside of the realm of possibility. Like the way this team is constructed, like they have some of the most consistency across any of the squads in the league, definitely across the West, just based upon they haven't really gotten any of key contributors, they haven't made any outside of the fullbacks any like big uh, additions that you know are going to need time to develop and or or to adapt Um, I think this team is basically saying we have a good squad we have a championship window we're just going to run it back and hope that Diego Valeri can still be Diego Valeri Diego Chara can still be Diego Chara and Sebastian Blanco comes back to being uh, Sebastian Blanco so you know I expect to see them challenging for silverware towards the end. And I think they should have that expectation as well. Um, and then getting at least one of those, at least one of those trophies that, you know, they can challenge for this next season.
0: All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Sam. Thanks for, yeah, thanks uh, for having breaking me. down Portland for us. Yeah, it was fun.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, I can't wait to be able to host you sometime in Portland. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully soon. Hopefully sooner rather hopefully. than later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you just we'll want to just plug yourself one start. last time before you? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, if, if you wanna if you wanna read read my stuff, my words. Um, I'm at Stumptown Footy. Um, if you wanna follow me on, on Twitter, it's at Samich923. S 923s ammich 923. Um, recently, got a lot of attention for a tweet I made about uh, pointing out that Portland has Diego Valeri. Christine Sinclair and Damien Lillard, all in one <laughs> city. And those are the faces of our sports. I, I, I sent out that tweet after after Damien Lillard did his Dame Time thing again, yeah. beat the Warriors. I'm like, okay, cool. I sent yeah. it out like at night, woke up, oh, th- 300 likes. Like, like tens of tw- 20, 30 like retweets. I'm like, okay, apparently people really like it. <laughs> right. You find out Valerie Lillard and uh, Christine Sinclair uh, in the same tweet, but uh, yeah, follow me there.
0: And that was Sam Sviller from Stumptown Footy, the Timbers SB Nation. So you can follow him, uh, like he just said, at Sammich923 on Twitter, or Stumptown Footy on Twitter for uh, the SB Nation page. Uh, Logan, let me just say here, I was giddy throughout that whole thing. You may have been <laughs> able to tell, with me tell. jumping yeah. in at times. Yep. And... Uh, <laughs> going off the show notes yeah going off the show notes (laughs) thinking up new questions i want to ask loved it um i i love talking the cascadian teams and no knock to vancouver but when i say that i mean more portland and seattle as we're getting to these big western conference teams that have these pedigrees and as i mentioned on the show one of these two western teams have been in the final since 2015 which is amazing uh especially for a league that does have parity, you know, like, and, and I understand that like me saying that may look like it, they doesn't have parody, but when you look at all the other competitions that are winning uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's very, I don't know, very different, right? Like you'll have a different supporter shield winner. You'll have some different MLS cut winners, but usually these past five, six years, it's been either Portland or Seattle representing the West. uh. You have a few more teams on the East. You got Toronto, Columbus, Atlanta, right? Atlanta had that one year where right. where it was. I mean, there was three years where we've had Toronto and Seattle. Uh, two of those back-to-back. That was kind of brutal. Um, was it three of those back-to-back? No, it was two of those back-to-back. Um, but I-, I love talking to this team. I'm, I'm really excited for this team. And I think my takeaway here is I think they should be – one of the favorites for MLS Cup if Blanco is good to go. Uh, I don't see any reasons why they can't win one more for Valeri and Chara before they both retire. And it's not like they're on the verge of retiring. They are 34, but you know Zlatan's playing at 39. And you never know how, how a player's <laughs> going to do, right? <laughs> but I, I, I do think it would be a good note to end on. And one, it would keep the streak of the Western Conference team being Seattle or Portland. exactly. And I think this is our best shot at a CCL winner this season. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean Mm -hmm. like they have a better chance than LAFC did last year because LAFC was literally like, you know, 15, 20 minutes away. But what I mean is if we're looking at any of the MLS teams in CCL this year, Portland is the strongest and is the only hope. Union are not going to be able to do it. This is their first time there. They're probably going to get bounced by Zaprisa. In all honesty, I'm I'm really worried about that. Uh, (laughs) Not much confidence going in. Not much confidence going in, especially after the long layoff, you know, like coming back into it. Um, But uh, I I do think, you know, Portland is one of the better chances. Toronto might get in if they face – if they beat Forge FC, which they should. We have Atlanta. They could be a good shot. We just don't really know how they're going to play under their new manager and how the new players are going to adjust. And then you have, uh, who, who am I missing here? I'm, I'm missing uh, Columbus. Columbus has a pretty decent shot, but I, I'd, I'd give it more to Portland in this instance. But what was your main takeaway from this team, uh, this preview? Because I feel like we're kind of on the same page.
1: Yeah, so my big takeaway from this is the idea that, you know, they're, they're a title contender. They're a team that when when you do have a title contending team, you're adding pieces that make you better, even though you're already good. So I think that the addition of Bravo, I think the addition of Van uh, Rinken are fantastic additions. I do think Bravo ends up being a fantastic left back uh, in MLS. I think that. The transition might not be as smooth at first, but the way that he plays in the attack and the way that I've seen him play um, advancing the ball forward into those wingers that, I mean, they've got the most dangerous wingers when they're healthy, like Blanco. You've got Valeri that's cutting across that midfield and to have a release valve and like what Sam was saying, that's a very dangerous thought for a team that is really good on the counter attack. Uh, again and I think another thing too is that they've shored up I think and I believe they've shored up because he's not too bad in defense either he presses real high he actually gets a lot of turnovers because of how well he plays going forward he wants the ball back so that he can advance the ball forward I, I think you're looking at a very good team a very solid team a team that when healthy they are probably one of the best if not the best team in the west and I think that you know, the, the, just, and Jordan, I was going to ask you this in the middle of the thing, but he kind of moved on to the next, like we moved on to the next thing, but I said, have we had a team yet where we've talked about the nine position and they've got about 26 different options. (laughs) (laughs) Like It's always like, I don't know who's going to no Right. I mean, Wanda was pretty much the only one that we've talked about that had, you know, at least some consistency in that front spot. But then you like look at, you know, Vancouver and then they just don't have the depth that that Portland do. And if you look at the midfield, their depth is like three or four players deep. They always seem to find players that just develop well. Um, Eric Williamson is going to be fantastic, I think, in that midfield, and he's just going to step right into that role. I think that Leary's playing right now. Uh, Big takeaway is this team is a title contender and when healthy, the whole league needs to watch out because I think that they're serious.
0: Yeah, it is uh that's what happens when you get up near the top of the you know, the top of the west. Uh you, you get these We've arrived that are so deep. Yeah, we have arrived. We finally arrived to, like, to the it. Premier franchises uh of the you know, as, starting really with the, I really feel like the the Minnesota and SKC really kicked that off here as we get. I mean, we did talk LAFC out of order. Um there's a lot of question marks there with them getting back on form and uh injury free um but yeah uh that was a few weeks ago now so but I, like really we're building like we're building to the, these uh top teams and we will have to go kind of back down a bit later here <laughs> When we, start uh, but it's like interesting Alex over Dallas.
1: there well uh, that but I, I thought you meant when we transitioned to the east because it's still interesting over in the east because oh yeah definitely yeah, the east i, I love the yeah. east you know that right.
0: I mean, I love both conferences. I'm such an MLS geek. I, I don't you really, are. You I, are. Yeah. I love, and I both. love it, I love but it. you know, I do have a soft spot for the East because it's where my team is. So, right. uh, I, you know, but the West, I would always love staying up late on some of those nights. I would do college papers and studying for tests while I'm watching, you know, like Seattle, Portland or Seattle, Vancouver, or LA galaxy versus Seattle, you know, all those type of games I'd be sitting there watching while studying in college and stuff. So it does have a, you know, the West has a soft spot in my heart. Cause I, I, I would stay up late, you know, doing papers and studying last minute. And of course, you know, those that's when those games would be on like 10 PM, 11 PM. But uh, real quick here, let, let's move on from that. We just had something I, we forgot to mention earlier, Freddie Montero going from oh, Vancouver yeah. to, uh, to Seattle. He's going back home. And I kind of felt like this is what was going to happen. Um, perfect fit i think especially you know they're they're not going to have morris uh with the injury and originally with the loan not like he really i mean like morris is more on the left Montero's probably more at this point you know like out and out uh striker and and such and probably doesn't have as much speed as he's a little older now but uh you know i freddie montero was one of the highlights i had watching mls back in 2009 2010 when I'd watch these Seattle games uh, he was one of my favorite players to watch in the league and actually I think you can find on YouTube there was uh NBC Sports when they had the MLS rights they used to do the thing called like MLS 72 I think it was called or MLS 36 it might be MLS 36 um, they did that for some of the NHL players too, but it'd be like, that follows them around for like 36 hours before the game. And Freddie Montero had an episode on there and you got to see him, you know, uh, at his house, like getting meal prepping and going into the, you know, going in for practice and stuff like that. And I think you can find on YouTube cause I've been watching some of those. Uh, so definitely look that up. Uh, anybody that's interested in Freddie Montero, if you haven't seen him, uh, really play, um, I was really sad when he left Seattle, and you know I was really glad when he came back to Vancouver. But it just feels more right to have him at the club that he he started at in MLS. Yeah, I'm excited to see him play back with. Uh, it, it just adds depth.
1: Sorry, I'm choking there. Um, it just adds depth right it, it's it's got you choked up i know i know i'm so excited <laughs> for seattle <laughs> my gosh no uh no but uh, he is a huge loss for vancouver and making the move to seattle it's gonna get really fun in cascadia isn't it this is gonna be a blast over on the west coast this, this uh, it will uh, come uh, lots summer. of
0: fun late night saturdays yes, watching exactly games. right so. uh what we uh what i also want to say is when he was talking about the build the statue type of yeah. or joke uh i saw that today on the union side too. though yeah. for ray gaddis and yeah, i, I was like yeah so they, they're building them for diego valeri while we're building that's it for hilarious. Ray Gattis. yeah
1: that's
0: hilarious <laughs> just shows you the type of players the union have had i guess uh but really if you were going to build a statue of a union player it would be sebastian Latou, uh, for yeah sure right yeah. now at this at this point uh but yeah, so I guess that about wraps it up. Any other things on your mind here about no, Portland before we wrap it up? No, I think I'm just going to mention
1: that next week uh, we're finishing up the yes. Western conference. We've got Dan Crook from third degree.net uh, or third degree net, which is the FC Dallas. Uh, I think they are, what are they? They're the SB nation. No, no, um, no they're just, just they're, they're yeah, just the, they're just the large. <laughs> it there is massive. But um, and then, and then he writes some for MLS We've also got LA uh, that we're doing in the same, we're recording, yeah, we're recording the same night there, LA in our house, which is a podcast out there, I'm so excited about doing that, and then we're talking Seattle to round up the West next Friday, so I think that'll be something that we will get to look forward to, and in the next week, uh, we'll be done with the West and be moving on to the East.
0: Yes, yes, oh man, and I can't wait cannot wait Uh, if you want to follow us for more news uh, you can follow us on twitter at stateside show instagram at stateside show facebook.com slash you guessed it stateside show or email stateside show at gmail.com we have the link tree in the notes we're going to be adding the youtube to that link tree here in in a little bit here we haven't really launched any actual content on there yet just the uh the little preview clip that you may have seen on twitter of our cool commissioned logo. Uh, 3d style uh, it was pretty cool so uh, check that out and uh, if you go to the youtube subscribe get ready for uh, you'll be able to see us eventually you know probably by the time the season starts maybe some of the previews will have this but you'll see our uh, faces while we're doing these podcasts you can either watch us on youtube or you can watch us uh, or just listen to us the way you've been doing it, I guess, uh, and then maybe some supplemental video uh, stuff as we get more into the season and stuff as well. So, uh, thanks everybody for your support, and we will catch you next time. Tomorrow, throwing his body in, it's gonna fall for Oh, come on, come on! Thank you for listening to Stoppage Time Soccer Show. We hope that you continue to listen to our show. As we recap, the U.S. Men's National Team, Americans Abroad, MLS, USL, this is Stateside Soccer Show presented by Stop Time Soccer Show. Have a good one.